0: I think honestly you know everyone needs to live right right we all need money to live okay I mean that's a fact so I I, I don't I don't think um, I don't think artists should be discredited for um, for making money and being successful I think you know they, they can be criticized for making bad art sure. that's a totally different thing sure um, but so yeah I think I think street art struggles with that
1: Genius, it takes a lot to get on my show. Genius, you're probably someone we'd like to know. You're really good at stuff, you probably like to dance. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius, get onto my show. Howdy, folks. Welcome to Living with a Genius. I'm your host, Omar Crook. Boy, I've got a great guest today. One of my favorite people in the whole world. He's my cousin. Cousin Pedro Alonso. Cousin Pete. I call him. Uh, Pete's a curator. He's an art curator, independent art curator. He's been doing it for uh, over a decade. And uh, also an art collector, also an art dealer. He and his wife are, are very successful in the art world. And right now, Pete's got a giant piece up right now. It's gotten international attention. It was just in Time Magazine a few days ago. Uh, came out the same day that President Trump... Oh, man, I have trouble even saying President Trump. The same day that Trump uh, announced that he was doing away with DACA. It's a, it's a piece in Tecate, Mexico. And it's a, a giant image of a beautiful baby looking over the border wall. You, you may have seen it uh, in, you know, on Reddit or wherever you get your news. And uh, <clears throat> he happened to be here in town. Had him over for lunch. Had a nice chat. Talked about JR's uh, work uh, that i just described he's also worked with shepherd ferry he's he's at the top of his game as far as independent curators go he's uh at the top so thanks pete for coming over i loved catching up with you i hope you enjoy the interview here is cousin pete
0: well pete all right omar, cousin pete cousin omar <laughs> it's really great
1: to see you man it's good to see you too it was nice to have lunch and hang out it was
0: great thank you for having man, I me over seen you in a long i know time. it's been forever it's just been, you know. I know. Yeah. Well, you have kids. I have kids. I know. It's hard. And every time I come, it's like my mother's like, they're mine.
1: Yeah. yeah. So it works. And rightly so. I mean, yeah. you've got, she's the grandma. That's true. I mean, my mom's the same way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, and we're
1: it, lucky. I mean, we're lucky to have. We're lucky to
0: have them. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so I left the boys with Lane for three weeks. I'm sorry. I left the boys with my mom for three weeks this summer. Lane and I went to Europe to see the shows. Yeah, oh, so, to to Venice. Yeah, I went to Venice, Documenta, and Moonster. What are those other ones? Documenta. What's so that? Documenta happens every five years, uh-huh. and it's probably the most well-funded mega exhibition in the world. More than the Biennale. I would think so. Well, because it's it's one show. So the Biennale, you have like seventy countries participate plus the 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 the, the exhibition. Yeah, the host. Yeah, the host. Yeah. So I don't. Yeah, but. I think Documenta has more money. I'm wow. almost certain they
1: do. And what, what do they What do they show? The it's same just, types they, of things? They hire a curator to do a mega show. But who, it's every five years. Who does that kind of work?
0: Um, so they've had... I mean, have
1: you been tapped to do that kind of thing? No,
0: no. I'm not... I don't really... Um, would you want to do that? Sure. I mean, if I don't know. Whenever I go to those shows, I always inevitably think, like, what would I do? And those are Those are huge shows with tremendous budgets and tons and tons of space so it it kind of um i mean it must be overwhelming it is overwhelming it's overwhelming to see and just to think about like how to do something like that. The only thing I think is like you know less is more like I would bring it down uh to fewer artists, give them more money to do much more mm-hmm. right? and and really um Uh, put the artist to work in the sense of not like, you know, having them do new work for the For the event. For the event. And and a
1: lot of times that's what they do. Like a a World Expo feel to it, where the people come with their newest and greatest.
0: Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Have them do uh, new bodies of work, exhibit them, Mm -hmm. as opposed to um, uh, you know, just like a bunch of existing work. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that, but... If it, it were be me, a retrospective. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's <clears throat> that's what I love to do. I love to bring artists, create opportunity, and mm-hmm. and do a show around an opportunity.
1: Okay, so you're a curator first and foremost. Yeah, I'm. A I curator. mean, you're an art dealer as well, but you would say you're a curator first and foremost.
0: Yeah, I. Well, so what I would say is I am an independent curator. Okay, tell me what a curator does. A curator basically puts together exhibitions and works with artists and institutions. What's in- what what does that entail? So I'm the guy that basically says, this is an artist uh, that's worth doing an exhibition with Mm -hmm. and then helps to either develop the new body of work or select an existing body of work, you know, paintings or sculpture or video or whatever, photo, whatever it might be, and then um, place it in the gallery. Um, That's normally what curators do. So
1: you're like a producer?
0: Yeah, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, a producer in some senses, a director in others. Um. Yeah. Um. And and the thing with with what I do is most of my colleagues work in museums. They have they're sort of they work for a very particular institution, and they do they tend to do most of their work for that as museum. an employee
1: of that museum. As an employee of that museum. I see.
0: So I'm I've never had a real job. <laughs>
1: I mean, do you like that? I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm way
0: too immature for a real job. But I... So going to the Art Institute every day would be... Well, I mean, I love the Art Institute. And and don't get me wrong. I don't think... It's not that I dislike museums. I love museums. But I just don't want to work at one full time. Why is that? Um, I like like the liberty. Yeah. I like uh, the freedom. Yeah. Um, I mean, out of all my
1: cousins and all the people in our family, you're definitely the one that I've always associated with. I mean, when I remember when I was living you know, up on sunset and you'd show up at midnight. Yeah. Cousin, I'm downstairs, (laughs) you know, and it was great. Yeah. And then I got into opera and I, I lived a a bohemian way, you know, that way. And I think, yeah, I think that kind of resonates with both of us. Yeah. That's why I got into music. I mean, I don't even know how to have a regular job. Yeah. Frankly.
0: No. Yeah. We both worked retail and we both, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, No, I I, I don't want to do this. Yeah, no, I, I can't, I, I mean, I I, I have um, tremendous admiration and and respect for many of my colleagues, other curators. Um, But it's, you know, but that's what everybody does. That's what most people do. And and I have this opportunity to do something else. Sure. And um, so a lot of what I do is outside. A lot of what I do are these public commissions or interventions, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And um, that's, not as common. What do you mean interventions? What what does that mean? So an intervention is uh, an artwork that is sort of stuck in a place where it's not supposed to be. That that's how I see it, right? Where you wouldn't expect to find it. I mean, did it have its genesis in street art in general, or is it a, a no? It's, it's its own entity, its yeah, own genre. This is how I look at. It, okay. Right. I, I you know other people might disagree or see it differently, but I see it more like. Um, so I did a piece um, with with JR, right, and I referred to it as an intervention, because we put it on the side of a skyscraper in Boston, and it was a picture of a of a guy standing on a platform, one of those floating platforms that you swim out to in a lake. Sure. Yeah, and uh, so there's this guy, probably middle aged, bit of a belly, kind of balding, standing on the on the edge of this platform, and uh, the thing was that the the building, the Hancock, well it was then called it was the, then it was called the Hancock Tower. Sure. Uh, has this really interesting blue glass, and you know, up until Jr. showed me what he wanted to do, I'd never thought about the the glass as looking like a body of water. So a skyscraper that's right in the middle of Boston, right? Mm-hmm. It's iconic. The, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's a uh, Iraqi. Uh, no,
0: it's a uh, Pei. Oh, IMP It's the, I. Pei. the one with the
1: cr- crisscross. Is that the one with
0: the? No, no. This this one is just a, a like a it's kind of an oddly shaped like an sky- obelisk. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I'm trying to think of it. Well, obviously, I can yeah, so Google it. Yeah. yeah, you can Google, it's a but it's it's this, building. You know, it's just this like skyscraper, okay. a glass. Yeah, yeah, full on glass, and uh, you know, we we put a giant sticker on it. Basically, it was 90 by 95 by 150 feet, and it you know got a lot of attention. That is what I see as an intervention. How because, do you pay for that? Um, well, in this case. Uh, is that part I of mean, your job as
1: a curator, is finding the, the money to put something like that on? How does that
0: happen? Well, it depends. So sometimes people hire me and they say, okay, you know, we want to do, we want you to create a public art program for us. We want to have public art as part of um, our, you know, historic home. And this would be instance. through the municipality or, or the city or whoever. It it. It's very different okay. uh, group of people who approach me. So uh, I'm doing a lot of projects for a land trust. The, actually, the world's first land trust. They're called the Trustees. They used to be known as the Trustees of Reservations. And they have, um, I think they just had their 125th anniversary, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and they asked me to do a series of uh, pro- public art programs, pro- projects within their properties. Okay. So that, that's, for example, the kind of, uh, you know, a, a property owner will right. hire me. And in this case, that's with JR. It was a property owner of that who, building, I, of that building. Wow. They asked me to do it and you know, they, they paid for it. So uh, but in other cases, it's a museum that hires me or, uh, you know, different kinds of you know, nonprofits. Right. Um, What's
1: the payoff for the Hancock building? Just notoriety?
0: Well, they, they, they have did some vacancies get vacancies that They did get a ton of attention. I, I think that yeah, what um, motivates a, a building owner to do that? I, you know, I think that now art is is playing a much more prominent role in our lives. I think that when I was a kid, um, when we were kids, yeah. right, um, art art was kind of a museum thing, and and you'd go and you'd look at old stuff, mm-hmm. right, and and also at um, contemporary art uh, was still among museum circles. It took a while for contemporary art to really be accepted. Um, are you talking about like Rauschenberg and... Uh, well, I'm just talking about contemporary types, art in like, general. So whoever like, is sort of alive, the they're hunt. always living artists who, like, you know, Rauschenberg who, who are getting a lot of attention sure. and who are prominent in their time while they're alive. But but in general, um, a lot of encyclopedic museums um we're less inclined to have a very robust contemporary art program. Now, that has changed dramatically. So today, if you look at LACMA, for instance, they have a, an amazing contemporary art program. And they have probably had a, contemporary, a strong contemporary art program for quite a while because they're also a younger institution. Sure. Um, and, the,
1: and the location. The location, yeah. Sure, uh, I mean, we're a transient city and we're, we like new things. Exactly. Yeah,
0: exactly. Whereas a, a museum like uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, would would be less inclined to have a robust because of their antiquities art and they what they focus on. Museum of Fine Arts, Boston. They sure. have less. I mean, it exists. I'm not. And but now, contemporary art plays a much more important role. Um, the other thing with contemporary art is that it's become the darling of the market. I mean, people are spending a lot of money or buying a lot of contemporary art. I think uh, if you think about the '80s, it was impressionism. That's where the big money was going. Sure. So today, contemporary art really consumes a lot. You know, there's a lot of money spent on contemporary. Everybody art.
1: wants a shark in the tank in their living room. Yeah, exactly. Everybody. Right. <laughs> so, um, but so I think that when did that shift happen? I mean, do you, can you do? You, was there a defining moment? Did it start with like Warhol and the pop art movement, or was it later than that, or was it? when I mean, how I, did I that would happen? Say,
0: I, I mean, I would think like like anything. It just sort of happened gradually, and before we knew it, um, um, I think that the the rise in contemporary art um there are um i think the art fair in miami helped change for example art fairs miami i think is a really good example of an art fair that really sort of was like such a cool event and so many you know it got all this great press and i think people thought wow that's kind of cool i want to go to miami and look at art and was it
1: accessible in the beginning? Was it affordable for somebody to buy a piece of contemporary art? Did it start that way in some well, way? Well,
0: you know, I mean, there's always a range, yeah. right? There are always artists who are starting out that are cheaper and artists that are expensive. I mean, there's always that range. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that, you know, in general, you know, media and attitudes towards art changed. And... Um, you know Miami's a good example of how that changed Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's the cause I'd say it's a good example of how so there wasn't some defining moment where BMW
1: ran a national ad and this guy's sculpture was on there and everybody wanted it
0: yeah I yeah I mean because I'll tell you when I was starting out being a curator wasn't interesting at all to most people Um, and um, now people are really intrigued like oh a curator you know, what do you do? You know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's it's changed.
1: Let's talk about how you started out. I when I when I was exposed to your line of work, it was back when you were selling books. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I was in college and needed something to do, and you very graciously gave me a sales route and <laughs> went out with my box and sold books to museums and yeah. bookshops and. Uh, but I get the feeling that you were already curating and collecting and doing stuff before that.
0: Yeah, I, I, I was. So I in in college in Mexico, I went to school in Mexico in Monterrey, and I um began to work for an art dealer. Were you interested in art leading up to that? Yeah, I'd always been interested. at in our our you know our our Aunt Sonia yeah. you know had uh and my grandparents um had always created that idea of 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 art being something special and important and you know my grandmother be cultured yeah yeah mm-hmm. exactly be our, our grandparents wanted our us to be they wanted both of us yes. to, to be cultured young men they wanted yes it was important for us to go to the theater and it was important for us to to museums know, and museums and, and identify travel. certain mm-hmm. artists and travel all of that was something we were given yeah right and but but or or in some ways forced upon us but i always I enjoyed it i always enjoyed it too yeah, yeah. my brother not so much i think <laughs> early Which is on funny that he became the yeah. actual painter yeah he be- exactly <laughs> the artist. It is funny. Yeah, yeah the artist yeah. yeah so it is funny but i don't i i um it was so that whole upbringing made it you know interesting yeah i don't think they ever thought either of us would dedicate our times to the arts right to to opera or to sure. contemporary art. I, I think I don't think that was the plan at all, <laughs> right? But really uh, they just wanted us to go and, you know, go to museums and the opera, not to... Yeah. But um, so as we <clears throat> began to, you know... So that was already there. And in Monterey, I I, I got a job. With, I started working for an art dealer. Were mm-hmm. you gallery. studying art at the time? No, I studied communications. Okay. So, yeah. So um, I began working for this guy... And um, began to build a network because I was the guy who spoke English, and um, I mean a lot of people spoke English, but I was much more familiar mm-hmm. uh, with Americans, and sure. you know I spoke in a way that Americans, I guess, were more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I would I would end up giving uh, curators and collectors and people who would come from out of town. We they'd opened up a new, two new museums in Monterrey. I would drive people like Walter Hopps around, and you know, uh, art dealers, drive them mm-hmm. around, and got to know them. People like Anina Nosei, mm-hmm. and I was able to build a network, and um, just through friendship, just, just through yeah, you know, people coming to Mexico, mm-hmm. and as part of my job, mm-hmm. they uh, liked you, taking care of them, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, m- making them feel comfortable. And then um, I, there was one guy who who passed away, a guy named Victor Zamudio. And he was uh, he worked in the education department at the Museum of Modern Art. And he came to Monterey and uh, he strongly encouraged me to apply for an internship at MoMA.
1: Why Monterrey, first of all? Why were people coming? Were they just looking for a great deal that they could resell? No. Or what no. I mean, what what was the purpose?
0: No, they had um, the muse the city of Monterrey had opened up two mu- there were two museums there. I see. Uh, there With there. Were the Porsche
1: collections and
0: well, the Museo Monterrey has a collection. They have a good collection, um, and or what was Museo Monterrey had a good collection, and they um, so they were doing shows, and artists would come for that. I see. And um, the, then they opened up another museum called Marco, which was a contemporary art museum, and then a lot of people started to come for that, for this, for these shows at these museums. The, their programming was bringing artists from around the world. Hmm. You know, from Europe, from Brazil, from the United States, from so there was this. It was there was something going on, mm-hmm. and and I was part of that, and it was cool. I got to meet a lot of great people, right? And um, and and it wasn't just you know uh, Americans. You know, I, I guess in some you know I, I um, when someone like Ivo Mesquita, the the this like great Brazilian curator, would come. Um, and I'd go have lunch with them. I wanted to know what curators did. Mm-hmm. You know how? You know I was really intrigued. How do you live? Yeah. yeah how do you, do you live? Work? What do you do? And mm-hmm. and it was great to spend time with these people. I was very fortunate to have their, you know, their attention. Mm-hmm. And um, so as these people came through, I built a network, primarily in New York, a bit in LA actually, um, and um, then I um. What the, I, the guy with MoMA. Yeah, I went to MoMA yeah. and as an intern. Yeah. And that was very formative. And, um, I, you know, I, I love MoMA. I think it's like this amazing museum. But, you know, as an intern there, I realized... Uh, that's kind of where I realized I really don't want to work in a museum. Why? I don't know. Um, I think MoMA is this amazing institution. And it's in many ways, it's the epitome of, of where someone would... You know, it's like La Scala you in are, Milan, right? Yeah, like, right. you right. Know, so I think that... Um, and I thought, well, if this is like this is it. it, right? I'm like, God, I don't know. I, I want to do something else. <laughs> um, and, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful no, I way. Yeah. It's just, just it became clear to me. You, you see know? how the sausage is made. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I did yeah, I didn't, I, I, I wanted to do something else. And, um, you know, it's a very large institution. Um, it, 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 it's, you know, and, and I just wanted to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's how... what did you learn while you were there. What did I? I learn? I mean, the, you
1: know that that helped you. Did you learn how to curate? What was your role there?
0: Yeah. What did I learn? Um, I mean, were you, you weren't emptying trash cans. No, no, no. I, I had. I was very fortunate because the. Uh, I was. I worked in the video department under Barbara London. Barbara London is this legendary, uh, real a real pioneer in video art. Hmm. She really helped turn that medium into a, into a viable genre. Mm-hmm. And Barbara, uh, um, started the first department of video art, really, I think in the world. Wow. And so I worked, uh, I worked under her and, um, she had her, one of her, the big shows of her career. It was, it was called, uh, Video Spaces, eight installations. So there were these eight video installations and, um, I worked on those. And these were, you know, artists like uh, Bill Viola and Gary Hill and Marcel Odenbach. I mean, it was like, yeah, you know. the Titans. Uh, Judith Barry, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stan Douglas. They were, yeah, I'm trying to remember who the other ones were. But they were all in the show. And um, Chris Marker. And I, so I, I got to work on the actual installation, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was awesome. I mean, I, I, I learned a lot um, just in terms of, of how... You know, install a yeah, show, right, how right. it works. Yeah, I'm sorry yeah. I'm going to be very specific. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, but it was it was also very um, humbling and overwhelming. And, and I was like, whoa, this is MoMA. I can't mess around here. Yeah. So it was, but it was it was
1: great. And then you moved away from there? You, had you graduated from college? Yeah,
0: I finished school. I went to MoMA. And, and then, then that, you have to make a living. And I had to make a living, so I was selling books. That's how that started? Well, I started selling books in Monterey. Uh-huh. I just, just meeting selling. local... Well, what happened was that the curators who would come to do the shows at the museums uh, were 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 dissatisfied with the fact that the books that were being published, their exhibition catalogs, were only for sale in one place in the world, right, which was the museum. the Museo, you know, uh, Marco was the Mm -hmm. only place that sold them or Museo Monterrey, where these were the only two institutions that sold the books. Mm -hmm. And one of them, one of this curator, uh, the curators, a guy named Miguel Cervantes, asked me he said hey you know there's this guy who's interested in my books and I, I really don't want to deal with it will you you know talk to him and can you supply this guy with my books so I started doing that and then I realized well if one guy is going to buy him you know maybe other people will and um, I had I had also developed uh, you know I had made a lot of friends in Houston uh, art world you know colleagues and that kind of thing uh, there's a guy there named, uh, there was a guy there named Peter Doroshenko, who I've done a lot of work with throughout my career. He's now in Dallas and he's a very good friend. Um, and I would go see him and talk to him as well. He was a curator. And, um, but then I would also sell books. So on my drive home from Monterrey to San Diego, I had to go through Texas, New Mexico and Arizona. Mm-hmm. I would stop at all the museums. Uh, I would go to Houston. I would go to Dallas, San Antonio, wherever. And, and, uh. And L.A. actually, and sell books. Mocha bought a ton of my books. Mm-hmm. So this was this was uh, something I started doing. It it became a business. Yeah, a pretty yeah. successful business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As far as 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 successful as you can be with books with art, architecture art books. And, yeah. <laughs> and yeah museum catalogs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was it was it was. I mean, you know. Um, yeah. It, yeah, but I that was,
1: and but, then I. I would imagine while you were doing that and forming more relationships, you just started.
0: Yeah, so Doroshenko, actually, it's funny because Peter, um, he left the Contemporary Art Museum in Houston and uh, he went. He moved to Milwaukee and he was running a, a museum there called the Institute of Visual Arts. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have a lot of money. He had a pretty tight budget. It was a you know, small university museum. and uh, But he had the mandate to really put this place on the map. Mm-hmm. So he did something really smart, which is instead of hiring... A curator to work there full-time in milwaukee he hired several adjuncts around the world so there was a guy in paris jerome sans um uh, myself in you know san diego tijuana uh, uh brigitte cole in um who at the time was in frankfurt um so there was a bunch of people mm-hmm. and uh well several people and we would come in and do these shows and this is a time when we were just beginning to get i mean comfortable with the internet not everyone had an email address not Mm -hmm. you know it's those days when a website was really just you know a splash page with the name and address and the phone number and fax right so you would you know the website was like call this number and talk to someone right right um so at that time you know there wasn't a lot of information so i would bring artists from mexico Latin America and other curators would bring people from Europe and there was this amazing cross-pollination in we, Milwaukee in Milwaukee we all learned a lot and we'd go there once or twice a year but when we were there it was really intense the other nice thing about Milwaukee is that you know it's not a city where someone goes with an agenda right you just sort of show up and so we spent a lot of time together so I became you know in, in a very in, in in one trip which was very intense we would really get to know someone hmm so uh, you know the artist pierre weig i got to know pierre in milwaukee and we've been you know friends ever since mm-hmm. so um it it's um th- this is that is how i became a curator when peter started he asked me to curate a show uh with a cuban artist named uh marta maria perez bravo and i uh, this was
1: your first real curation job
0: well, sort of, because okay. he wanted me to do it. And I said, um, I can't, I'm not a curator. I don't know how. Yeah, no, I didn't, I don't know how, I knew how. I just didn't feel like I should, because huh. I wasn't, like, I didn't think I could, right? I mean, I just, it was just like, I was very apprehensive about it. And he, huh. um, and he said, and I said, well, look, I'll do the show, but just don't, don't list me as the curator and he thought he must have thought I was crazy so anyway I um, I, I did put the show together I helped him you know do it and um, and then uh, I didn't even go see the show because there was no money to go see the show you know I but I helped him select the works yeah. and get, I or, orchestrated the shipping and all of that and then we um, and then later he called me and said you know do you want to be an adjunct I thought okay I guess I could do that the show went well yeah, the show went well, and and I thought, all right, I'll be an adjunct along with the other people. Yeah, and um, it it's, I yeah I began to do shows in Milwaukee, and you know Milwaukee's very close to Chicago, so we'd spend a lot of time in Chicago, and I began to familiarize myself with the Chicago art scene and with curators and museums there, and but I still wasn't totally sure, totally comfortable in the role of a curator. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until there was an opening. Uh, at the Renaissance Society, and uh, it was this artist, Carrie James Marshall, Chicago-based artist, who just had a big show here at MOCA. And um, the curator at the time from the, uh, the Art Institute was uh, a woman named Madeline Grinstein, who's now the director of the Contemporary Art Museum, Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago. And she introduced me to one of her patrons, and she said, oh, this is Pedro Alonso. He's a young curator from Mexico. And when she said that, I thought, "Man, if she thinks I'm a curator, then I'm in." Like, (laughs) right? I'm a curator. I'm a curator now. So that was for me a defining moment. That was yeah. That was the defining moment. It didn't matter that I already done four shows. Yeah. Right. It was just the fact that that's that. It was that recognition from someone else that I thought, "Oh." It's like Placido
1: saying, "This is my young tenor friend." Yeah. Exactly. I guess I'm a tenor. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And 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 you know, and she's someone who. you know she's a very respected curator she's very serious and and i thought god if she thinks i'm a curator then i'm definitely in <laughs> right <laughs> um yeah i don't i should tell her that story because i don't think she she realizes we'll it. send it to her yeah yeah exactly <laughs> we'll send it to her that's amazing
1: yeah yeah and was... i mean and then you just i mean is that really and then i continued. It? that's I continue. really it yeah
0: that's, that's when I sort of took ownership of, of being a curator. And did you already have work lined up? No, no. I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I would do this adjunct just at Milwaukee. work in Milwaukee. And then what I... What was your big break? Did you have a big break that you can think of? Or
1: was it just kind of a gradual progression into working with giants in the field?
0: I would say it was gradual and um, kind of quiet. You know, I would just do it because I was also selling the books. So i was kind of distracted i was spending time you know, i would do the shows in milwaukee and, and go to the venice binala with with the innova team and mm-hmm. i was definitely involved and engaged but then mm-hmm. i was also going to the book fairs and i mean
1: by the time i was working with you i felt like you were letting letting it go a little bit i had it was yeah. at the tail end
0: yeah um when i i kind of kept married, it limping along yeah when, a, married, a yeah when i got married when i got married well even before i got married i realized okay if I, you know, I have this business, I need to make a go of it and I need to really. So there was about, you know, several years that I was focused primarily on the books and I was trying not to spend as much time curating. Do and, you
1: regret that? Was that a...
0: Well, I, I don't regret it because I learned a lot mm-hmm. and I probably wouldn't have landed on street art without the books. Right. So that was really important. You're talking about
1: Shepard and, and Barry. Yeah, and... Exactly.
0: Exactly. That Cause, that and all those guys. came from the books from from Little More. So you remember, yeah. um, we used to distribute the Yoshitomo Nara and yeah. the Takashi Murakami books, and um, the publisher that made the Nara books was uh, Little More, mm-hmm. and they were publishing these books with Kaz and Barry McGee, mm-hmm. and it was through those books that I realized, oh wait, there's there's you know there's something going on here. That's how I really that's learned how you about... were exposed to street yeah. art was through the books through the books selling the books and and then and then. Um, you know, moments, for instance, um, when the Superflat show mm-hmm. came to MoCA, mm-hmm. and uh, Takashi Murakami had the cover of Giant Robot and Art in America at mm-hmm. the same time. I thought, well, that's really interesting that crossover. And and I and I remember how well the like the Nara books would sell mm-hmm. at the museums, mm-hmm. um, and but then also how well the Cos books would sell at the mm-hmm. museums. And 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 I thought, well, why aren't these artists showing at the museum? Mm-hmm. The books sell well, so it was just I was just thinking, what, what's and going Space on Invader here? Space
1: Invader too. He was Space Invader.
0: Yeah, up all around town, all over the world. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, and that's when I realized, oh, look, this is. And I also remember my own prejudice when looking at these books. At you know, I thought, well, they, you know, this is really cool, but it's not art and then one day i asked myself well why isn't it art and i thought all right i'm gonna to have to go and meet some of these artists wait what was that about
1: what why why first of all did you think it wasn't art this is an interesting conversation because i, I have this conversation with friends still yeah I, i'm very lucky to be in a field where artists is a big part of our lives also yeah and we, we're two steps away from one of the great contemporary art galleries in the world now at the Broad, and. Um, we we talk about that. Yeah, I have some friends that say, "Well, you know, I could do that," and of course, the yeah. classic comeback is, yeah. "Well, but you didn't." Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and what? Why? Why did you not think street art? Did you feel that same way about outsider art?
0: No, you know what it was. It was that, um, more than anything, it was that within the the circles of it, it you know, street art didn't really inhabit. Right, the circuit of contemporary art. Right, like you, you know, uh, you really didn't see it
1: at because of its temporary nature, or because of it.
0: It just, I don't, you know, at the time, I I wasn't sure what was going on. I just remember it was they sort of lived in parallel universes, and there was, with the exception of Barry McGee, there was very little crossover. So you'd have, you know, you'd go, you know, I'd go to the Venice Biennale, and I, there were certain artists and curators and people I'd see and talk to and think about, and the magazines and everything. But the art world didn't encompass street art. It wasn't part of it. It was even though else. Keith
1: Haring and Basquiat and all these guys came before. Yeah,
0: but they're they you know they weren't. I mean, they're they're precursors for sure, and there and there's something there. But but like really street art, they 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 they're not in the same. It's a different generation. I see. Sure. Right? So I I think that with um with these. What, what ended up happening is that these guys just created their own scene, their own system and uh, their own arena, if you will, and uh, with their own group of collectors and their own galleries, and, and it was quite distant and separate from the art yeah. world. Do you think and, the internet and, had something
1: to do with it? Oh, totally. I mean, like, Keith Herring obviously built the car and put gas in it and made the engine, and but it never Yeah. I mean, he he went from he went right into yeah. galleries and collections.
0: Well, I'll tell you what the big difference was. Yeah. right? At the time... When Keith Haring was making his work, as an artist, you had no choice but to work within the art world system, right? I think the the, the internet facilitated
1: an uh, an alternate. You can build an online community of images of
0: yeah, of installations. Well, and... I, I'll tell you, what what I what I think happened is you had, um, for example, you had you had artists that in, in some ways, I think street art is the first truly global movement, right? Because mm. there's this term, zeitgeist, that, that, you know, kind of this idea that two things are going on in two different parts of the world mm-hmm. at the same time, mm-hmm. and they're Parallel connected, but they never yeah. knew each other, right? right? And there was no real connection, but there was kind of a metaphysical connection. Right, right? Jungian yeah. idea. yeah, sure. And, and, and with, with street art, that changed because these artists, they, they knew about each other. Right, and and they did communicate, and they did support each other, and they were all over the world. You had someone like Invader in Paris, you had Shepard in LA, you had Fail in New York, you had Barry in San Francisco, you had Ogemios down in Brazil. So these guys, these artists are about you know the same generation. They know each other. But a loose
1: collaboration of sorts. Uh,
0: yeah, and and they would support each other as, as so, far as the genre goes. Yeah. So Invader would come here. And Shepard would help him out. Shepard would go to Paris and Invader would, you know, guide him around. They would, you know, they, they would share information. They would help each other out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and uh, I think that is really great. All, the other r- really important role that the Internet played is that, you know, street art is expensive to make. It requires a lot of material and a lot of time. And you're spending a lot of late nights... You know, putting stuff up. It's so dangerous. It, it's dangerous, but it's also, a, yes, it is dangerous. There's also a huge investment, right? So you're making all this stuff and putting it up on the street. And there's no exit strategy. There's no way, there's no revenue model, right? Like how do you make money off mm-hmm. that? Um, so one of the things that, that these artists did, it was largely pioneered by Shepard and uh, uh, Banksy and Steve Lazaridis with uh, Pictures on Walls was this idea of selling prints online. Creating iconography. Yeah. yeah. So these these prints that they were able to sell online, you know, they did it in a way where they didn't sell them through a gallery. So mm-hmm. when you sell them through a gallery, you gotta give them 50%, right? Mm-hmm. The gallery is paying for, you know, you know, the the someone to sell the stuff. All their overhead. All yeah. their overhead, mm-hmm. the rent, all of that. Mm-hmm. When um when you sell prints online, you get a hundred percent of the revenue, mm-hmm. right? You get it all. You can do it out of a cheap warehouse, you hire someone to Roll them up in tubes and put a label on them and ship them, right? Uh, so the and and you're paid in advance directly by a credit card, so you know you you get all of the money at once. You're not waiting for someone to pay you. Right. There's no Send you your monthly yeah. cash check or sixty-day check. right? Sure. So I think that 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 the internet c- allowed them to create the model that fueled the proliferation of street
1: art. So you create notoriety through press and through. Making things and putting things up and having that covered, and and people getting arrested and all the yeah. uh, everything that comes with that, and then you have a suddenly you have a business model. I,
0: I think the arrest thing, though, I, I don't want to ever over romanticize it. Arrest is always a it bad sucks. thing. Yeah. yeah, it always sucks. <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't and I don't think the press for being arrested for any artist is ever really worth it. I mean, I don't know. Some may feel otherwise, but in mm-hmm. my yeah, no one likes to be arrested. What's the What's the view? Uh,
1: is there a point at which a street artist loses credibility because of monetary gain, or because of exposure, or because of those things? Yeah, is I, that
0: a risk? I I think it's it's a very uh, I think that it's a very kind of hypocritical and fickle attitude mm-hmm. um, because it's sort of like you know the that band that was cool until the cute girls knew who, you know, right. knew the name until United right.
1: Airlines uh, picks them up. Yeah, for a commercial. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and Retarded I think that or whatever,
0: I think honestly, you know, everyone needs to live, right. right? We all need money to live. Okay. I mean, that's a fact. So I, I, I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think artists should be discredited for, um, for making money and being successful. I think, you know, they, they can be criticized for making bad art. Sure. That's a totally different thing. Sure. Um, but so, yeah, I think, I think street art struggles with that because there are some people who are very kind of, you know, ideologically purist about what art street art is and isn't and what it should and shouldn't be. Right. And I think it's, those are the people who are like weird about it.
1: Yeah, and there's a fine line between ideology and practicality. I mean, uh, the intrinsic value of that art is very low as far as material goes just like anything like paint is not that expensive Yeah, canvas is not that expensive really it's the what it's saying about our culture at the time and what people seem to glom onto. and a lot of it is like the stock market it's perception yeah uh do you you advise artists that way or do you are you more of just like go for it type of do you
0: even advise artists with business is that something that you do um you know uh every once in a while i get a call and you know, artists need. do they questions. have management? Do do artists have people guiding well, their careers? Well, that's really what a gallery, in many cases, does. I see. Um, but you know, sometimes I'll get a call from an artist asking me, "Well, what do you think about this?"
1: And, yeah, McDonald's is asking me to do a mural. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So it, it just depends. Um, I think again, I think that it's well done. You know, if you look at Takashi Murakami's collaboration with Marc Jacobs, that whole Louis Vuitton thing—that was like the most one, in my opinion, that is the best. Artist brand collaboration in history. In history, it just is. It was, and and yeah. I think that if you are going for that, go for it. Try and try and beat that because that's you know that's that was the as legit right as it there. gets. Yeah. That and that was done beautifully, intelligently. I mean, it was just the 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 it right. That's yeah. the summit. Um, and you know, I mean, there have been other very good ones, but uh, but I I think overall. I don't think it's a problem to collaborate with brands as long as you do it properly. I mean, and then I also, though, respect artists who don't, right? So, for instance, you know, junior won't. I mean, he won't accept any kind of sponsorship. He won't work with any brands. And, and you know... It, How does he survive? It makes it difficult sometimes when you want to do a show at a museum and, you know, Lexus wants to pay for it. Right. Um, he sells art. He, he has does a, directly. Oh, yeah. Well, he has galleries. Yeah. He sells a lot of, you know, he sells a lot of art through his galleries. And um, he's able to support himself selling art. Who are the artists that really got you to the
1: next level? Your which relationships do you? Looking back,
0: mm. I mean, was artists. it
1: Shep? Was it?
0: Yeah, I would say you were asking about a big break. I would say that you know, I, I did a show in England. Um, in, oh my God, what was it like? Two thousand six, uh, a big street art show in England, and that was. Uh, you know that that show was was a big deal in the UK and it did very well. I mean that was a a, a good break and a good show to do, but Shepard's show was just insane. I mean the amount of press, the amount of attention, mm-hmm. the attendance, and um, and that you know because of that show and you know Shepard being arrested and all the stuff that came after that, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know he and I became you know, friends and uh and 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 we've worked together a lot since then. So yeah, Shepard I think has been very um important for my career. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And 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 I've really enjoyed getting to know him and his family. I mean we're you know we're close. Mm-hmm. Um but um you know I would also say that uh you know I, I couldn't have a lot of the ideas I've had though come from Yoshitomo Nara and Takashi Murakami. The, the, those two artists are really important in terms of my way of thinking and looking at art and, and thinking about the art world. Um, they're intentionally uh, accessible art form mm-hmm. within, you know, you know, coming from the art world. Mm-hmm. They have this position where they want everyone to have access to their work. And, and the the strategies they've developed and and the commitment they have to that is is very compelling. Yeah. And I've learned but, a lot from them. But they took cues from Kuntz in some ways. Yeah, or maybe the other way around. Oh. Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, And and I so Yeah, interesting. I, I also think that um you know, um Sam Durant is an mm-hmm. artist uh, another artist who I've admired tremendously for mm-hmm. for many years and I I didn't have a chance to work with him until 2015 in Philadelphia. So there are a lot of artists that I've been, I've been looking at and friendly with. Where and... does
1: Damien fit uh, f-
0: fit on that? Damien Hurst? Yeah. Oh, I, he was not even on the list. Not on the yeah, list. I, he's like he not does his own interested thing. in him at all. No. No, not really. No. Why? Um,
1: this is the. This is what. This goes back to the what is art?
0: Yeah. I don't know. I. I just, I'm just. does it resonate with you? It just doesn't. Yeah. I. I don't. I. I've never even really thought about it. I just. It just I mean, look, there's some really beautiful work, right? And there's some really interesting work. Yeah. Sure. But but as uh, overall, I'm just not that interested it's in work. I do you see it that way? I wouldn't say it's done. I would just say I'm not interested. Okay. In it. I don't I don't know about, you know, I'm yeah. not interested. I'm
1: I'm on the same I'm I look at it as a curiosity. Yeah. I want to yeah. see a horse chopped up. That's yeah, yeah I've, it's never, I've cool. never seen yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I just I just start to you know, I I get a little worried when when it seems like you know someone is a purveyor of trophies for the elite. I get a little mm-hmm. like a little turned off by that. And and look, I work with a lot of very successful artists that sell a lot of work to a lot of very wealthy people. So, but but sometimes it's when a it feels Leroy like Neiman-ish. that's what it's uh-huh. about, I see that's when I get a little turned off. So I see. um um yeah, oh, what about
1: uh, remember the flack that that guy took the the French guy who had the big show here in la mr oh mr brainwash mr brainwash yeah 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 Uh, i'm not a fan of his okay now this is this is this is another conversation i i see him you know i saw exit uh, yeah through the gift shop shop and blah 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 and yeah uh any other big show here which i missed um but you see his work around la on on garage doors and whatnot yeah what makes that, what makes his art any less legitimate than
0: Banksy or, or, uh, yeah. Or so I, yeah, I, 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 um, it just seems so art directed and contrived and, and, and thought out and without getting the sort of the, the point. Right. Mm-hmm. And it just seems so, um, gratuitous. Um, Yeah. It's designed only to make money, in a way. I, yeah, and yeah, and to kind of be appealing, right? I don't think there's on the any... backs of other. Yeah, exactly. And 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 he's appropriating a, a style and the language that I, 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 it just doesn't seem like he's. I, I even have yeah, a hard time talking it about it.
1: Why isn't it art? Why is, why I don't is know, it Why is I mean, I yeah, I I don't why know. Why is Andre I, the Giant art and his? Yeah, well. Pictures of Alfred Hitchcock aren't art.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think that Shepard, you know, was really interested in, um, I don't know, there's something really subversive about Shepard's early work, right? That, it's that its I context, find, right? Yeah, it's I driven really, by context. Yeah, and it's very appealing, mm-hmm. you know, that, that subversiveness um there you know he he pioneered right he's one of the pioneers of the, of the whole street art genre yeah and mm-hmm. uh with uh with with you know the materials and the stencils and the stickers so you know i think Shepard. we talked about i think since 1989 he's he's probably produced and distributed over 20 million stickers right think about that so this is like real commitment, right? And and uh, it's not a
1: stunt. Yeah, it's
0: not. It's not a stunt. And he's been doing it for a long, long time. And and you know this idea of making art for the people, which is very aligned, totally aligned with someone like Herring. But um, you know, so Shepard's style, um, the, the the message, right? His his anti-war work uh, during the, the Gulf War. Uh, the Obama image, right? And and so if you think about the Obama image, the Obama image isn't just that he was able to graphically render, right? Or, you know, that he articulated what so many of us were feeling about the candidate, Barack Obama, you know, because it, even as, as you know, as important as that portrait is, right? If it had been in a museum, you know, how many people could have seen it? It, it, would, it never would have gotten any traction, right? Um, it wouldn't have even meant the same thing. No, it wouldn't have meant the same thing. But right. the fact that it was done originally as a poster. Right? Where was and it that, put up first?
1: Here in L.A.? Uh, he
0: started putting it up. I don't know. I, I I think it was here and then at the Democratic Convention in, in Denver. Just put them up around he town. He just started putting them up around town. Wow. And um and then he started to make stickers and, and then he put the files online so that people could take them and, um, and reproduce it and get it out. He really mm-hmm. wanted to get the work out. But the thing about that, right, is that Shepard developed this highly sophisticated system of dissemination of imagery. Right, and he also he you know in many ways Shepard predates viral dissemination of imagery. He did it started in 1989 when you had to do it with elbow grease. Right, right. He was
1: yeah, paste and he paper. was
0: pasting. He was he used to make his own stickers. Think about that, right? He used to at RISD, he would make his own stickers and and um, and then so he would produce, distribute and disseminate his own stickers. Right, and then at one point when he when he decided to take this campaign. And and go big with it. He started to put ads in skateboard magazines. I mean, was there a
1: business model in place? Well, this is the interesting thing about it
0: because he just wanted to do it. His mother told me the bookstore bill tripled, right? Because he and Shepard told me that was because he was spending all of his cash on the on making stickers. So he would he would basically just eat like diet cokes and granola bars from the bookstore, and that's why the bookstore bill tripled and and the materials so he um he started to disseminate this and it got to a point where the campaign was so successful that he realized i can't do it anymore right there's so much demand for these stickers i can't you know do this anymore i can't afford it that he was forced to charge for it right And he started charging like i don't know like a quarter a sticker and selling them and um what's interesting about that is i i was talking to a friend of mine a guy named uh, rich miner who was involved with uh with uh, he was one of the founders of of Android, right? Uh, the iOS, right? That Google bought, and he, um, I mentioned this story to him, and he said, "Pedro, do you realize what this means? He didn't just predate viral dissemination of imagery. That's the Web 2.0 business model, where you create a critical mass, you create a following, and then you figure out how to make money. Let's so look like look at Instagram today." Right now you get those sponsored ads, but for a long time it was just free you know, it was just sort of rotating. They built a you know millions and millions of followers and then they figured out. And a people way to at IBM were like,
1: that's not a business. How yeah. are you gonna what are you doing? Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. So that that see, and that's genius, right? So you can't compare someone like Mr. Brainwash to Shepherd. There's just like no comparison at all. Shepherd has has as you know, uh, it's a very sophisticated practice and body of work. That has like tremendous resonance with the way we He's see the, the world. He's the Steve Jobs of the art world. Yeah, that's <laughs> what you're saying. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I'm sure he'd love that. Yeah. I'm sure he'd love that. Yeah.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah. 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 So these are the things that I find so interesting. And about. are you still entrenched with street art in particular, or what? Is that
1: still is that still a viable genre? Is that still something that people seek out? Is it? Oh, how yeah. are those artists making their livings now? Well, I, would I say, mean, I know Shepard Fairey has a clothing yeah, line and he's got all sorts of things.
0: I would say that um, Is it still an many important... of them have, um, you know, slowly began to get, you know, representation by really good galleries, right? So Ogemios, for example, uh, works with, the, you know, this amazing gallery in, uh, in Brazil that just changed their name. It used to be Fortes Viasa. It was Fortes Viasa for years and, and now I'm struggling to remember the the name. Uh but uh he work they work with them. Mm-hmm. They also work with Lehman Mopin in New York. And um so these are these are, you know. hmm What's the
1: new wave? Top gallery. What are you saying now? Do you have a hand in promoting something in particular or do you just follow what's happening? How close I, to the epicenter are you now?
0: I would say that yeah, I, I don't think I'm very close to anything. I, I just like certain artists Mm -hmm. and i follow their work over a long period of time i think of my work more as like like matchmaking right i'm i'm looking at artists so for instance someone like doug aiken i've been following doug's work for years we're we're good friends and i've been trying to do something with doug for a while i just haven't found the right fit Mm -hmm. uh it was like that with sam durant as well it was like that with jonathan monk i mean there's a lot of artists that i've been wanting to work with Um, but it what, what ends up happening is that you know, I, I'm I'm keeping these artists in mind. I'm watching what they're doing. I'll go visit them, and and then one day that 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 show will pop up, and then I'll invite them to do something. So I'm 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 not I'm not ever. I think when I in Milwaukee, uh, you know, 20 years ago, I think I was much more in tune. For instance, what was going on in Europe, mm-hmm. right, with the young European artists like like Pierre Wieg and Philippe Parreno, that that group, Maurizio Catalan, Steve McQueen. Those were all artists that you know, I, I was aware of mm-hmm. and, and, and looking at their work closely mm-hmm. uh, at a time when they were beginning to get a lot of attention. L- Let's talk about JR. Yeah.
1: How did you come to know him and work with him? How'd that start?
0: Yeah, so I was doing this um, exhibition for the Museum of Contemporary Art in San Diego uh, called Viva la Revolucion, and um i went um what was that it was a street art show in 2010 Mm -hmm. so i was traveling around looking at work and i went to um it was in london and uh they put up uh on the facade of the tate they put up five or six murals by different artists Mm -hmm. so i went to see the murals and i wanted to see who the other artists were and in response to that show, Banksy organized something called the Can Fest. I don't know if it was in response, but it was at the same time. There were a couple of artists I went to see there, too. So I was just doing research. And I saw his work on the Tate, and I thought, and it was a, a kid holding a camera. It looked like it was like this African-American kid holding a gun. It was very menacing, but he was actually holding a camera. And um, so I went up and talked to him. And then I started to you know, follow his work and visit him and i i put him i don't think it was his first museum show it might have been but the first time he participated in a museum show definitely in the u.s uh in the show in san diego and then um i just you know kept up with him and several years later i did his first museum show in the u.s in cincinnati and then shortly after in dallas mm-hmm. so i was you know doing these you know shows with this guy and um that's how we got to know each other.
1: And what about Banksy? He was already tied up with his own. Yeah. You Did know, you ever
0: work with Banksy? I, I put him in a couple of shows, yeah. but we're not close. You know him though. Never met him. You, you don't know who he is. No, I. I you know. Is that
1: true that nobody knows who he is? Oh, or lots he of been... people know who he is. But I mean, I'm
0: not. You know, but I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I would. The thing is that I'm. You know, I, I. It was kind of out of respect. You know, I. See. I, I just felt like, look, this guy is trying to hide himself, I don't want to be one of those guys just like, you know, trying to get friendly with him to find out who he is. I mean, who who cares, honestly? I mean, you know, this guy does his thing and it's it's cool. I, I don't, I, I don't, there's not a lot of compatibility between what I want to do and how I work with artists and the way he works, so we just mm-hmm. don't work together.
1: Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this piece done in Takate Yeah, Takate How did that come about?
0: Um, so, JR. I don't know. He sent me like, I can't remember. We, he, it was either like a text message or something. And he said, hey, I want to talk to you about a pro- project in Mexico. and Because I've been telling him for years we should do something in Mexico. Yeah. And uh, so he decided he wanted to do something in Mexico. And I said, all right, great. Um, let's talk. And it took several months for us to actually talk. And, uh, and when we did, he said, look, I've got this idea. I, I want to go down to the border. I want to do a piece about immigration, and I want to have an image of someone looking over the border from the Mexican side, and it's an image that you see from the U.S. side mm-hmm. with the border in between. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Wow, that's brilliant! I love it." And um, so he said, "All right, well, can you go to Mexico next week?"
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, sure. And you were in Boston, and he was in yeah, Paris. Yeah, or? yeah, yeah, okay. he, yeah.
0: I don't know where he was, but we uh, we met in um, we met in San Diego. Uh we stayed at my mom's house. Yeah. Yeah, we borrowed her car. Nice. And uh But does she have his, the, old, the old SUV still? Yeah, 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 ah, she has that yeah, that. yeah, 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 she's got this. Explorer. Uh, it's a li- yeah, no, it's uh no, it's a Pathfinder now, but yeah. Uh, nice. So she's got this, you know, we we took her car. Yeah. And um Mark was with us who's the the studio manager in New York. Mm-hmm. There's the three of us. And uh JR has a really intuitive way of working. Um he he really uh Thinks about. Um, he just sort of starts navigating and seeing things, and 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 walking over and wandering and looking and exploring, and and things begin to materialize. Mm-hmm. I hope that doesn't sound silly, but that's kind of the way it works. Sure. And and this because when we did a, a project in Philadelphia, uh, he, about immigration. He wanted to recognize an immigrant, and and paste a giant image of someone who lives and works in Central Philadelphia on the side of a building. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, you try and find an immigrant, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do you find an immigrant, right? Uh, you, you sort of walk around and you say, hey, are you an immigrant? Let's
1: go to a restaurant. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> well, that's kind of what I was thinking. Right. So we were walking around and sort of talking to people, and, and you know, it didn't work a lot of the time. Yeah. And, and finally, we found a guy. just but, but just by talking to people, by walking through the city and communicating, that that human contact is okay. really important to him. But we were... In Tecate, we weren't really looking for a subject. We were, we were looking for a site. And uh, he wanted, you know, there were certain characteristics of the wall that he wanted and, and needed, right?
1: What, why about Im-, I'm sorry to interrupt, but what's his fascination with immigration in particular?
0: Um, he's fascinated by the fact that, you know, what would drive someone to leave everything. Right. Right. To get up and go uh, at great danger, at great peril um, total uncertainty, like what would drive someone to do that? He's fascinated by that. And, and, and uh, rightly so. And and he wants to, to sort of recognize, I mean, I think that, that, you know, the, you know, his, JR's gift, right? What he does is he really, uh, draws our attention to the things that we, we want to forget about, right? That we don't want to think about. And he really humanizes these very complex issues that, most of the time are portrayed by the media and politicians as statistics sure right numbers policies jobs these abstract things but but what about people so when he, when he yeah put, what about a
1: mother putting her two month old baby in a boat with 500 other people and yeah nobody and, and knows and going how to across swim. the Mediterranean yeah, yeah exactly
0: so that that was the that's you know' he's, he's interested in in, in in raising a discussion about these people these issues. So when we got to Tecate, we're looking for this wall. And we he found a spot that he really liked from the U.S. side. We could see what it looked like from the U.S. side. Then mm-hmm. we had to go across the border to, into Mexico to see what it looked like on the U.S. side to, to Mexican side to actually build the structure mm-hmm. where the image would be placed.
1: You now it's a site that can be seen from the road that has good exposure, good access. Is that, was that, yeah, it's
0: a pretty the... remote Road. I mean, it's a dirt road, okay. like two miles from the border crossing station in Takate. So it's not so close. Do you have to make a trip to it to see it, or oh, can you see no, it? Oh no, no, no! You, you can have see to it. make a trip. Like yeah. <clears throat> oh, really? From the U.S. side, absolutely. You can't just because there's it. nothing out. there. You're not going to Arby's and you're going to like, oh, no, no, look at that no, baby. No. There's nothing on the American wow. side. Wow, yeah, it's totally remote.
1: Did he do that on purpose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To make it a destination.
0: Well, to make it a destination, and just because it it. Um, it's I more think authentic, it was, where well, people would actually cross, or what, what was I the think idea? Also, it you know, a lot of what he does is also he tries to kind of shy, shine light on places where art doesn't exist, where art is normally never appears, right? And um, and on the Mexican side, it's it's quite populated. Um, so we we found a kind of in a ravine, well, kind of a you know this depression, mm-hmm. um, oh gully or something, like Dali, Yeah, mm-hmm. we found a. Um, a site that would work. He he I I have to say I wasn't so convinced with the site, but I know better than to question him because he, he has a real vision. And um, can
1: the can the image be seen from both sides? It can. Is, or is it the backside side just scaffolding?
0: You can see it from the Mexican side. There's a there's a viewpoint from the Mexican side, but but you don't see the fence in front of it. So there's just it just looks like this giant kid. I see. It looks great, but yeah. but the the, the the impact is on the, impact the other side. The impact's on the other side. And I that understand. was the point. Sure. Right? And um but so when we were kind of looking around, uh, there, were, there were sort of like three places we identified as good sites for it. And one of them was next to a house. Uh, it's a house that's maybe you know, 60 feet from the wall, uh, from the border fence. And uh, we started talking to the lady who lived there. And her, um, her daughter came out and her, with, with her son, a little boy, one-year-old. And we, you know, we talked to them and the and the, the, mother of the child uh, recognized Jr. She was a fan. And I mean, what are the odds? Yeah, right. In Tecate. It's, in Tecate. And she followed him on social media and she'd seen his work. And wow. I mean, that's really how small the world is today. And um, so.
1: I like to chalk it up as fate. Yeah, well, that's true. That true. that makes a better story. Yeah,
0: that makes a better story. But so we, we started this conversation and we thought, well, you know, we might come back. I got their number because we thought maybe we can put the the fence here, the, the image here next to their house. And they kind of liked the idea. Yeah, to participate
1: in yeah. the project. Yeah.
0: So we left, and and then JR was like, you know what? That kid, I want to photograph that kid.
1: Now, he didn't have an image in
0: place. Or was
1: it a mock up or was it just an idea?
0: It was just an idea. He didn't come
1: with a big piece of vinyl. No, it's no, like, no, no it was like, I need a place idea. to
0: just stick this somewhere. No, it was an idea. No, wow. so, he, so there was this one-year-old boy in Takate that we came back and photographed, that JR photographed, to make the image. So, they, they, you know, she put her son... Well, first she cleaned him up and put him in, like, a <laughs> nice outfit. Yeah. And then she put him in, um, in the crib and had him stand there, and, and we, like, tried to make him smile, and we're jumping up and down so to take pictures of him. Yeah. So JR took a ton of photos and then picked one that was the most appropriate for the piece. And then um, you know we we hired an architect this amazing guy Abram and Danielle these two guys and they took care they actually erected this structure we worked together with them to design it and develop it and they hired people local people to build it is it attached to the fence itself no 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 it's it's a you can't a, you just you can't do that right it's a structure made out of scaffolding okay and then it there stands there's, independently yes it stands independently and then there's a a, a plywood platform attached to the scaffolding and then the image was pasted onto the, like a bill, the like plywood. Like a big billboard. It's a big billboard, exactly. And then how was the image actually made? How do you make an image that size of a picture of You just somebody? prints it That's on a, paper. Yeah, That's the same way he does then, it everywhere else. Piece it, and it together. Paste. Yeah, French wallpaper paste. It's a special glue he uses.
1: What's the shelf life of a piece of art like that?
0: It depends on the elements, actually. So something like that, you know, the way the sun hits it, it faces north, so it doesn't get as much sun, You probably be there for like 16 to 90 days before it start. you start to see serious deterioration. And
1: when you erect it has to be really calculated, right? I mean, is that part of the process of when do we put this up because of the weather and what was that part well, of the discussion? Yeah, I mean,
0: you know, it's Southern California, so huh. it's the weather's pretty, <laughs> I mean, I live in Boston, <laughs> it, it, over here, it's, you know, it's always sunny and
1: Now we're talking about the business model again. How does he capitalize on a piece in the middle of nowhere mm -hmm. that only lasts a month and a half, two months?
0: Well, social media. He has over 2 million followers on social media. So he puts it up and then people go crazy. And, and, you know, And so we were sitting in a restaurant. Uh, The the piece was was pasted on a Tuesday. Yeah. Um, And Tuesday morning we were in a restaurant and uh, the TV was on. Where in... in in, uh, Diego, in, or... in Chula Vista, yeah, in San yeah. Diego. Mm-hmm. And there was an announcement that Trump was rolling back DACA. Mm-hmm. And and we looked at each other like, oh, Here my we go. God. We're putting a giant image of a child on the border. and uh, We always suspected that this would be a very popular piece, but the timing with DACA was...
1: It was like lightning
0: in a bottle for you. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, it just took off. And, yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, I've never had I've never had a piece explode like that onto the world. I've had a lot of, you know, very successful pieces that have gotten a lot of attention, a lot of press. Big shows, yeah. Mm-hmm. But this is it's unparalleled. Really? I think for him too actually. I don't think he's ever had anything that's taken off like that either. And uh, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. I rem-
1: uh last week was it Tuesday? You were in town. Was it Thursday? Tuesday? Yeah, Thursday. Yeah. Last Thursday you gave me a call in very very Alonso fashion. Yeah, <laughs> last 30, minute, <laughs> thirty minutes before the presentation, you were giving a, a lecture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, JR, yeah, Jr. and I didn't talk. Bl- was yeah. it Blumenpo? Yeah, Blumenpo. Yeah, down on La Cienega and and uh, I'm in the middle of three shows at the opera. I I just couldn't make it, and and the very and I. It's funny, like I told you downstairs, I I saw the piece on Reddit, and I had no idea that you were had any involvement. Yeah, at all. Yeah. It just on its own merit, it came across my newsfeed, and I was yeah. like, fuck, that's that's a fucking awesome yeah piece of art. That's amazing. Yeah. And then I get your call, and then the very next day it was in Time Magazine, and I yeah. mean that's,
0: yeah, that's really something. It was, yeah, I have to say,
1: I was. What do you do? Do you, how do you do you capitalize on this moment? Well, do you strike while the iron's hot, or do you just keep doing business as usual?
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's. Uh, there's I mean, a this lot creates of follow-up. New, yeah. There's a lot of follow-up. I, I have to say, I, I got a lot of. Uh, you know, you hadn't asked me to be on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well no I'm teasing you I am teasing you but Jeez. Uh, <laughs> No but you know I guess there were a couple of talks that have been in the works that were really solidified after this and yeah. um you know um yeah it, it 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 got a lot of attention. Um I
1: mean do you start planning with JR something immediately and be like, let's let's ride this momentum or what's his style? What's your style? What are your thoughts about that? No,
0: each project is independent. I, 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 I don't, I don't see this as like the wave that I've got to catch and try okay. and stay on. I, I think that you know, um, time. You know, life always provides opportunity, right? There's always something there, and and you just have to see it and grab it and go for it. And sure. and I think that that is really what um, uh, I was You know so right now i don't feel like there's a whole lot left to do with with this project i think that there are lots of other projects we can do and that that's what i'm working on
1: what's next for you with or without jr what's what are you looking forward to what do you have in the in the works
0: yeah i have um so i'm working um with the trustees of reservations out in boston and uh we have this really great project with the uh uh, Berlin-based artist Alicia Quade that I'm super excited about. She's responding to the idea of this uh, um, late 19th century maze, hedge maze that lived in this, uh, was in a, like a Gilded Era mansion in estate. state. So I'm really excited about that. Huh. Um, What's the twist? What is? What, how will she contribute to that idea? Well, we're, we're still figuring that okay. out. <laughs> but, I but want that, your secrets. Tell me. Yeah, yeah. All right. we're, we're, we're waiting. on. We're still figuring. We're, we're trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working... Uh, with an artist uh, who's actually the reason why I'm in LA this time for, with Adriana Verjao she's up in, she has a show that opened up yesterday at Gagosian and I've got um, I'm doing a show with her in Mexico um, and and she's very interested in ceramic traditions and and pottery and, and we're kind of looking at um, she's really interested in Talavera pottery and the the absence of any pre-hispanic uh, style influence, huh? influence exactly mm-hmm. so we're looking at that and um,
1: as far as style and or manufacturing, the way that it's made, everything? Yeah. everything, yeah, it's totally, yeah, it, uh-huh. it
0: doesn't have anything. Uh, uh-huh. So we're looking at that. And then um, I'm, I've got a, a project with the artist Liza Liu. And uh, we're, we're um, developing a, um, a project uh, uh, in a women's prison in Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> in the Amazon. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a really complicated project what just i mean in an amazing about? way yeah, yeah. What,
1: what what is the project well Can you talk so about it?
0: yeah 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 so um i was invited by uh, uh this uh, uh foundation humanitas 360 to, to go down and develop a body of work uh, that dealt with uh mass incarceration in brazil so brazil is in their their pr- prison population is the fourth largest in the world the first is the united states of China, mm-hmm. Russia, and then Brazil. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're really worried about it. So they, they brought me down to basically hang out and go to prisons in, in Sao Paulo. So I went to two prisons, and um, the thing that caught my attention the most was the women's prison. I would say, like, out of 2,000 women in the prison, 1,700 of them have full-time employment. And uh, the, the sad thing is that these women um, are in jail. For most of them, 70% of the women in prison in Brazil are there for drug trafficking um and many of them are drug trafficking because they can't get a real job Mm -hmm. you know another job Mm -hmm. and um and then when they they have full-time employment in the prison but then when they get out they don't they can't get a job because people won't hire and businesses won't hire next con so they go back into prison right so it's this and i thought how do we how do we you know obviously you know art's not going to solve the problem in an effective way right it can be a flashlight yeah and 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 we can try to make at least a dent in it and try and address the issue so what we did is we um we uh I, the just called me and said hey you know uh there's a, a man there who's a brazilian guy who's amazing paulo and paulo called me up and said hey what if um you know in sao paulo it's not working out with a prison to do this project that you want to do. What if, what if we, um, would you be, would you and the artist be open to doing something in a prison in Belen in the Amazon? I was like, totally. That just makes it cooler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, I got to get shots and everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's do it. <laughs> we all went to Belen uh-huh. and, uh, I invited the artist Liza Lou. Liza had, um, developed a, uh, has a workshop. Uh, a fully functioning workshop in South Africa where she uh, she won the MacArthur grant and she took part of that money and she started this workshop in South Africa uh, where she would employ Zulu women to help her make her art hmm. so they these women are helping her to manufacture mm-hmm. her artwork in in South Africa and I thought this would be this is someone who, who's done this who knows how to do it who knows how to work with women start a workshop let's do that in Brazil so we came to Brazil and um, there's this amazing um the warden there is this visionary woman who who in order to try and fight recidivism and help the women employ themselves started a cooperative where the women make handcrafts that are sold in the market mm-hmm. and um so we we use that we're trying to use that as the the, the point of departure to develop um uh an industry mm-hmm. right uh within the prison so in um invest in infrastructure um, and develop um, a technique and the equipment so that these women can produce ceramic beads that can be used to make an artwork, right? But then all of that training and equipment and and skills and experience can be used by the women when we leave Mm -hmm. to continue producing ceramic beads and then to use the beads for their own purposes, such as making jewelry or making other products that they can sell. Mm Mm-hmm inside of prison right but also hopefully when they get out they to won't be continue going to do that mm-hmm. yeah to support themselves fascinating so the idea was kind of to to support entrepreneurship yeah right and and because originally i was like well let's do this giant artwork that you know will help change people's ideas about mass incarceration i thought god that seems so futile right and i thought well what if instead of 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 help trying to make people change their attitudes We empower these women. We give these women skills and and equipment to make their own money.
1: Now, this sounds like it transcends the role of curator.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly... Yeah, it's unlike anything I've ever done.
1: Are you comfortable with
0: it? Are you happy with that? Oh, God, I'm thrilled. Is that something that might lead into some other line of... Well, I mean, as a curator, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not interested in running an NGO that does these kind of things at all. I'm interested in working with artists to have an effect on real world problems yes mm-hmm. that i definitely want to do and 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 i've done other projects that have led up to this mm-hmm. i've done projects uh with re-entry program artists and working with reentry programs and halfway houses i did something with swoon in philadelphia um with sam durant i did a project that dealt uh with the legacy of slavery in massachusetts we also did a project that we we um it was called labyrinth it was based on a dialogue with uh uh inmates at a maximum security prison and Mm -hmm. people in reentry programs and talking to them about being caught in the system right in Mm -hmm. the department of corrections and and he made this 40 by 40 foot chain link maze that we put in downtown philly and people were invited to put up statements about mass incarceration on it wow yeah so you know so that all of that has sort of prepared me for brazil
1: yeah who's the next big artist who are you looking at now
0: Oh, my God. Like who young. you're really excited about. There's this... There's um, Well, I mean, Alicia Cuada is quite established at this point. But she was young not too long ago. Yeah. Yeah. But um, there's this guy here in L.A., John Houck, who I'm really excited about. I think he's doing some really interesting work. Uh, I did a, a show with him in Dallas. And there's um, uh, this other young guy. I mean, he's a street artist. His name is Bills. He's very young. Really great work. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy named Momo. Do you ever get out there and help them put stuff up? Sure. Yeah. I try not to do it illegally, though, because... Um, try being the Well, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I rarely Now you've do. got a family. Yeah, I've got a family. Yeah, you've got a mortgage. I've got a family. Well, also, I'm, you know... Um,
1: but you yeah. used to, when you used to come and knock on my door at midnight. <laughs> 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 you know, I could always count on a few things. Yeah. You'd, you'd come late. You'd stay for a week. We'd go to Pink's. Yeah. We'd buy new shoes.
0: Exactly. That was, God, that was what? That was the 90s, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, man. That was awesome. You were wearing para boots. <laughs> We'd go to La Brea, buy you a $300 pair of shoes.
0: That's true. And then I wouldn't eat for
1: a week. And that's it. That's it. Like, that's you, why I we ate at had, at Pink's. That's yeah. You <laughs> had a bag. You had a canvas bag. You drove that old Jeep. Yeah. Didn't have any windows. Yeah. Rattled.
0: Yeah. And you know what? I love that about you that you never, you were never very, um, you never discourage me from spending three hundred dollars on a pair of shoes.
1: I never <laughs> discouraged you from showing up either, man.
0: I'm, no, you, you were know always welcome. You this. could do it right now. Yeah, All you, right. well, you come by. You. you come by next
1: next year. Knock on my door. Yeah, and we'll, we'll go, go buy shoes.
0: shoes. Awesome. <laughs> Let's
1: do that, brother. It was great having you on the show. This was awesome. Great. Thank you, Omar. I'm just so glad to catch up with you. So
0: am I, man. Thank you.
1: Well, there you have it, folks. Pedro Alonso. Thanks, cousin, for coming over. I sure love catching up with you. Uh, today's show was uh, written and produced and spoken by yours truly, Omar Crook. Theme music was orchestrated by Greg Geiger, composed by myself. I'd like to thank uh, well, I'd like to thank all you guys for listening. If you enjoyed this show or any of my past shows, please go to iTunes. And rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It doesn't cost you a dime. It takes a couple seconds. it would mean the world to me. Hope you all have a great Monday. Great rest of your week. Remember to always be kind to really each other.. Stuff, you, until next time. you like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius.
2: Get onto my show.